Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. If you have been blessed, challenged, or angered by Theology in the Raw and you want to spread the word, you can do so in three ways three ways. Number one, you can leave a review uh, down below. Number two, you can spread the word about the podcast on your social media accounts. Number three, if you have the means to do so, you can support the show financially uh, for as little as five bucks a month through patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw. Get access to lots of premium content, including uh, monthly Q&A podcasts that I record for my Patreon supporters. My guest today is Peter McGowan. Peter is one of the founders of Plain Joe and Storyland Studios. He's a champion of bringing clients' unique stories to life by broadening their vision vocabulary beyond words and helping shape the cultural influence of their organizations. He's worked with a number of uh, well-known organizations organizations such as Disney, Universal Studios, Lego, and others. I brought Peter on the show because this guy is very knowledgeable about all things technological, technologically related. Okay. And I, I, I told him ahead of time, I said, I don't have a specific direction with this conversation. I just, he knows a lot about the future of everything. And I just had a bunch of questions. So that's where we took this conversation. It wasn't planned out, really. We ended up talking a lot about Elon Musk, Tesla, self-driving cars, Neuralink, space travel, and many, many other interesting things. So please welcome to the show for the first time, the one and only Peter McGowan. Here with my friend Peter McGowan. Uh, yeah, Peter, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. This is long overdue. We talked about this kind of off and on for the last six months or so. But uh, why don't you start by telling people who you are, what you do, and then I just got a thousand questions about the whole tech world, the future of everything. And you just every time I ask you a question about it, you seem to have a really thoughtful like response. Like you are uh, you more than dabble in all this stuff. So yeah, tell us a bit about who you are. Yeah, uh, was it? Uh, I helped lead a communication design group called Storyland Studios, uh, and uh, we help people tell their story uh, using a broader vocabulary than just uh, traditional kind of uh, writing or uh, or words spoken. Uh, it really is this idea that we're cut from the Walt Disney cloth, that and the idea is that everything speaks. So there's kind of three major areas we look at. We say a story that walks away with people or strategic storytelling. A lot of times that's like branding. Um, but for us, a brand isn't so much about logos, fonts, and colors as it is an emotional response. So how do you feel when you say Disney, Apple, Nike, Starbucks? Um, and then the second area is story that uh, doesn't walk away with people. We'll call it spatial storytelling. And we actually are a licensed architectural firm, and we get to uh, dabble in that quite a bit. And um, uh, and, and really, the, the idea of creating what we call is a sense of place. So where the story unfolds often is just as important, if not more important, than the actual words being said. The context of the words huh. mean everything, right? Yeah. Uh, so like if you're around a campfire and you say fire <laughs> versus uh, like a, you're alone in the bedroom and you yell fire, it's like two totally huh. different contexts, two totally different things. Um, but you know, the idea that even when we look at scripture, the Bible, like the context of the stories is so important and really changes the meaning of it yeah. uh, when you look at like Jacob's well or the steps of the temple or whatever. And Jesus was a teacher along the way. And a lot of times where he told the stories really made a big, big difference. Um, and then the, the third thing is story that people actually interact with. And in today's 
you know, mass media culture interaction is just huge. Mm -hmm. um, interactions happen naturally between two people, but now when you talk about social media and all these platforms and all these things, the idea that people are interacting with your brand through an app, through a website, um, however that culture is, is conveyed is really kind of key. So we've uh, had a lot of fun over the last 20 years coming alongside all sorts of organizations, uh, big and small. We get to work with some of the largest, most recognizable brands in the world, uh, all the way through to small mom and pop uh, yeah. like ministries uh, helping with human trafficking in Thailand and just wow. saving uh, you know kids one one person at a time. So it's a it's a blessing for us. Did you work with uh, like so what are some of the names that people would recognize? I know you don't want to like show off or whatever name drop, but just to give people context, so you work with Lego. Yeah. Right? Or... Yeah, and it's hard too because uh, it, it, I'm a part of a much bigger team. It's not just me. Sure. I, I, a lot of times my role and involvement is uh, really limited, but the brands that we've worked with on a large scale that's most recognizable is like like our team built Hogwarts Express, the train at Universal Studios that everyone takes their picture in front of. Yeah, uh, that was actually built out in Southern California and shipped out to Orlando. Um, but yeah, we work with Disney, Lego, a lot of work here at Legoland uh, in, in California. Uh, but then even like Mars M&Ms, during the COVID shutdown, we got pulled into quite a few interesting projects with Mars M&Ms, uh, looking at their guest experience and their uh, loyalty program their store experience and a bunch of things like that okay have you always been like a create like that has your mind always worked that way like with branding and storytelling and, and... yeah you know what, um I, you know i think there, there's a thing that we say is we, we call them natural branders I, I think no matter what everyone is creative i believe I, our god is the god of creativity i believe everyone has is creative everyone starts you know coloring outside the lines when they're born they start coloring on the walls yeah they're told not to, that there's one answer that's in the back of the book um, and, uh, you know, stay inside the lines type thing. And um, I was definitely wired to color outside the lines. My mom, I mean, a bit of a sordid upbringing, but our dad had left us. Uh, we were relatively poor. We were on welfare for a while. But I remember watching TV and there'd be some t toy and it was like, I forgot. Uh, one of my, like, there was a, a, a G.I. Joe truck or something like that. I'm like, oh, I want that. But it was like $50. Might as well have been $500 or $5,000. So I remember my mom took me, we went to Goodwill and we found a Tonka truck that was yellow and she got a you know $1.50 can of black spray paint and we just spray painted this Tonka truck black and that became my G.I. Joe you know, mission truck and I was the only one to have it. And it was just like, you know, how can we, we don't have 50 bucks, but we have five. How can we kind of pull it off? My mom always like stretched our, our imaginations. Like, and uh, I remember like uh, one of the key things she shared with me one time is uh, we were watching It's a Wonderful Life and there's that line, if I only had a million dollars. And I remember looking at my mom going, yeah, if we had a million dollars. And she just looked at me and she's like, yeah, if you can't manage a little money, you can't manage a lot. And that just stuck with me all these years. And it's not about how much money you have and how many resources you have. That goes into that conversation we were having before about SpaceX. I mean, you know, they were giving a, a, a Boeing had a year head start and a billion dollars more. I, I, I'm not a bunch of these numbers, but it was like, you know, SpaceX had 2.3 billion uh, and Boeing had uh, 3.4 or something like that. And, uh, but because they were put under this kind of creative pressure from NASA and never doing it before, all these other things, it's, and, and a lot of it to do with their thinking process. It's crazy that they not only leapfrogged Boeing, but they are actually shuttling people safely back and forth to the International Space Station. And Star, and the Starliner still literally can't get off the launching pad right now. It's like, yeah, they still haven't made it to, uh, to the International Space Station unmanned. It's like crazy. Wait, so st uh, SpaceX, so this is Elon Musk's one of his many hobbies, yeah, right? Sex. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And so yes. it's a dragon. And, and you're saying he, his technology has surpassed like Boeing? 
Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah. So Boeing is literally. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing, honestly, because they they literally the Falcon Heavy is new rocket technology, right? And okay. they just developed it with SpaceX for the last ten years. Uh, Boeing was reusing the solid rocket fuel uh, uh, boosters from the space shuttle. I mean, they weren't reinventing anything; they're just repurposing, and they still couldn't do it. It's just. Yeah, and a lot of it is just their mentality. I think a lot of time we talk about thinking. Thinking isn't just you know using what's tried and true, what you know was worked in the past and repeating it. Yeah. And thinking is also not trying new things just to try new things. Right. Thinking is is taking the balance of the two, taking what you know worked and what could possibly work, and thinking through how do you merge them together and how do you actually innovate and and move forward. Um, but yeah, I think the way NASA treated Boeing and everything like that, they were trying to lean on a lot of their old things. I mean, everything from the flight suits to how the rockets went up and the whole flight yeah. system. But, you know, uh, you know, SpaceX is like, hey, we want to do this. We want to make it so it's totally autonomous, you know, a, a cruise for the the the, uh, the astronauts. But then also thinking through the future of space tourism and travel and the idea that I mean, like we we're just saying, like I could hop into uh, a, a rocket in L.A. and land in Australia in an hour and a half, two hours rather than flying halfway, you know around the world for 18 hours. And, and how do we do that? Just by going way higher or, and I'm going to ask a lot of dumb questions and probably use the language. No, 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 yeah. Way. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, how would yeah. somebody do that? Why can't we do that now? And, and what would that take? Yeah. So it is interesting because a lot of it has to do with just uh, how many um, air resistance and planes can only travel so fast. Okay. And actually it's kind of funny. Planes used to travel faster. They've slowed them down in order to get efficiency with fuel efficiency. Oh. Um, but the earth is spinning at about a thousand miles an hour, right? So, I mean, if, so if you can just launch, get suborbital, the earth is going to spin on its own and then you can, and you just land back down. So you're actually leveraging the, you know, the rotation of the earth uh, to help, help you do so that. You're saying that yeah. just, you're just going straight up. Let the earth do its thing, come straight down. And... Uh, you, you might have – you're going forward a little bit too. Those things are going pretty fast themselves. And, you know, to, to break out of the earth's velocity, I mean uh, gravitational pull, I mean you're going like you know, 18,000 miles an hour or something. When do you think we'll be able to do that? When, when will that be like commercialized? Is that is that in the near future, that yeah. kind of air travel? Uh, near future is all relative. Okay. Uh, at the rate SpaceX is going, I wouldn't be surprised if it's in the next – at least next five years, if not the next really? three years they'll be testing it probably. Yeah, I mean that will have that Especially will have just, dramatic effects on everything. Like just kind of like how the internet yeah. connected us at hyperspeed, and now the world's a neighborhood. Like this is going to make it take that kind of impact and make it embodied. Like if you can just literally pop over to Sydney for the day and. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the cost of it is probably going to be pretty cost prohibitive for just everybody until it's brought to the masses. And that's why one of these things, too, right now is yeah. like he wants to turn CO2 into rocket fuel. And there's a bunch of ideas around that. But, yeah, the idea of transportation, mass transportation is pretty on the forefront of his mind, solving problems uh, of humanity. And right now, the current solutions that we have, uh, they're just not built to scale. The idea that, you know, you have cars that take everyone everywhere and the gridlock of traffic lights and yeah. stop and go. I mean, if anyone's ever been in New York City around Times Square, it's miserable. Everyone yeah. knows, like, to get uptown, downtown, take the train. That's the best way to go. And that's actually what, you know, kind of started his kind of side business of the, the boring company and tunneling. Because especially if you can get into tunnels with low-pressure air, I mean, half of energy efficiency is lost in air resistance. So the idea hmm. that you can get into a tunnel and shoot across like the pneumatic uh, things that happened in the 60s and 70s when the bank tellers would shoot you money to, to your car. You know, it's, it's kind of fun. But he's a great innovative thinker, though.
you're talking about elon musk um yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. yeah he's he's wild man um <laughs> i love listening to him i've only heard him a co- i think a couple times on joe rogan's podcast and maybe a couple youtube mm-hmm. things um but yeah he's fat he's fascinating he, he really is brilliant right i mean is that that should oh yeah goes without saying yeah yeah and uh, and his engineering background helps him hmm. so he's not just depending on uh other people to help troubleshoot and think through problems he's, yeah. he's rolling up his sleeves and getting getting through to it and trying to figure it out and uh yeah it's like when they started and they sold the model three i think when they launched the model three uh at the time it still might be fastest selling product in human history or something like that in oh 36 God. hours they sold 36,000 i'm sorry 36 hours 300,000 cars you're talking about and tesla, it was tesla funny now, because right? the tesla Mo- model yeah, three yeah tesla the model okay. three yeah, that was the first mass-produced car, and that's what's funny is he's always let all his plans like be known, like the whole progression of starting with the expensive luxury car, mm-hmm. that Model S, doing the SUV, the Model X, and then the Model Three was the first mass-produced car, okay. and it was funny because big automotive was like, hey, he just shot himself in the foot. It's gonna take him five years to deliver three hundred thousand cars, and five years we're gonna be doing three million cars a year, yeah. all this stuff, whatever. And and sure enough, I mean, yeah, they pulled it off. But some of the things, uh, one of my favorite stories is when they talk about when they were in production hell, um, and they were trying to figure out, okay, how do we break past, uh, you know, two thousand cars a week or whatever these uh, or a month, two thousand cars a month or something. And then he wanted to do five thousand cars a month, and it told him there's no way you can do that. Um, but uh, what ended up happening was he was looking at the assembly, and there were one spot where there was a, an an issue where uh, there was like a a panel that married between the batteries and the frame or just something like that. And this wouldn't line up and it would stop everything. And if that part stopped, the whole assembly line stopped behind it. And, and he's sitting there going like all this stuff and they're trying to figure out troubleshoot and all these things, whatever. And, uh, and he just asked the question or someone asked the question, um, why is this part even here? And they're like, Oh, Oh, because the batteries guy said it's there for fire production. Uh, and then, uh, it's like, okay. So they went over to the battery guys and they're like, Hey, do we need this insulation mat thing, whatever it is? And they're like, Oh no, no, it, it, it's for the uh, sound guys. The, the sound guys <laughs> say it helps dampen the sound. And they were kind of pointing fingers at each other, like why they need it. And he's like, remove it, just remove it. And they removed it and no one could hear the difference. And, yeah. uh, and the, the safety guys said like, it doesn't help with fire at all. I mean, <laughs> When, when a lithium ion battery lights up, nothing's going to stop it. It's a Roman candle. So, uh, so, but they literally, the solution was eliminating it, uh, just eliminating it. And that solved the problems. And what's funny is not only did he make the 5,000 cars a month production that he was told when he made the 5,000 a month, he goes, can we make 10,000 a month and, and or, or a week? I'm sorry. I'm totally butchering these numbers, yeah, but yeah. I, it was, it was a week. And then it was like, um, no, you can't do it a 10,000 week. And they're doing 10,000 a week right now. They're doing half a million cars a year. Wow. And uh, actually, Giga uh, Shanghai is is going to hit, I forgot, half my, I think total, they're going to finish off the year over 900,000 cars made in one year. And and it was originally told to them it would take them five years to make 300,000. So. Wow. In, in Boise, it's, yeah. in the, I would say in the last two months, I've seen an explosion of Teslas on, on the road. I mean, six months ago, you would see one, maybe a week <laughs> if you're driving around. <laughs> well, you know, I go to LA and it's like every other car seems like tesla but in the last like couple months it's just taken off here mm-hmm. how how expensive are they are, are they really with that many are they crazy expensive it's or trick. not it, it's a trick uh so the reality is uh, you know it, it's numbers it's just like sales and all this other stuff how you position it yeah. the base cost i think is supposed to be thirty nine thousand dollars for the model three oh. the trick is you can't get the base model right okay. and uh, especially like when we originally got ours um i'm gonna butcher these numbers but basically thirty nine thousand dollars and a seventy five hundred dollar tax rebate so thirty two thousand five hundred dollars 
And you don't have to deal with all the maintenance, no oil changes, no timing belts. I mean, literally, I've had a Tesla now for six years. The only major thing has been tires, windshield wiper blades, and windshield wiper fluid. That's it. Everything else. And that's a part of his model. And that's why the auto industry is so against Tesla. They want to do away with the traditional car dealership model. Uh, It reminds me of uh, Reed Hastings, you know, when he was trying to sell uh, Blockbuster, uh, sell Netflix to Blockbuster. Did you hear about that? No. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, oh, he was trying to sell it to him and based on valuation. At that point, I think they had just broken even making money on the DVDs, uh, mail-order DVDs. But oh, yeah. it, 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 he was basically – and it happened over several times. But there was one time when they were in the boardroom, and he was literally laughed out of the boardroom. And, and the guys were like, you don't even know our business. And they're like, what, what are you talking about? And it was something like 15 or 17 percent. Which – money and it's just like it's just funny because five years later blockbusters out of business and netflix you know they've done okay yeah but but the idea of innovation has not been kind to the assembly line process and how things used to work and that's the same thing with the automotive industry right now automotive industry they make their money on dealer service the the dealers don't make money selling a car that's nominal they make all their money on all the little add-ons they do at the dealer like the security system you didn't want the extended warranty um when you come in they say oh this is wrong too these belts need to get replaced I mean, yeah, Teslas have on average about half the number of moving parts of a traditional car. Mm. And uh, but even things like cooling systems, most car, they can have anywhere from three to six cooling systems. You know, you have your air conditioner, but then you have the the water pump for the engine itself. Then you might have seat coolers. You might have all these different cooling systems. A Tesla has one. It's one integrated cooling system for everything. Hmm. Um, And it's just a lot smarter, a lot less parts to break. So, and they'll last a lot longer yeah. too, right? I heard somewhere that they can easily go several hundred thousand miles, no problem. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was one of the things I had heard why Elon Musk started uh, Tesla the way he did was um, you know, they've known how to make the perfect hybrid for decades. I mean, diesel locomotives. Diesel locomotives are you know have diesel generators generating electricity to power AC motors that go millions of miles. And he was like, why is it that GM and Toyota are using crappy lead-acid batteries with crappy DC motors that fail? And huh. and even like they even planned it so that if the batteries die, the whole car dies, even though that there's a, a, an internal combustion engine there that could power it. It was just like so bizarre. So he's like – he that was the original Roadster he tried to do as a proof of concept to be like, hey, look, it works. And everyone was like, yeah, but you can't make money on it. And that's why he really went into mass production. Interesting. Wow. And, but yeah – uh, like the Tesla Model 3 motor, yeah. I believe, is rated at 1 million miles. Oh, my yeah. word. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah million miles of the permanent magnets, yeah. So that yeah. going back and to they the have cost, cost, even, if the... you, even if you drop, say, it's 60 grand, 80 grand in the Tesla, I mean, in the long run, that's going to be a lot cheaper than buying a $30,000 yeah. car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and between gas savings, maintenance, yeah. and it's the safest car in America. I mean, that's the thing is it's like driving, uh, you have a, you have a Ram underneath you of these, you know, a couple thousand pounds of batteries. It's like a, you know, you can take on a pickup truck with that thing. And then the car's like a weeble wobble. It just doesn't flip over. It stays on its feet. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I, I known of and heard of several people in May. They were able to walk away and if they were in any other car, yeah. they would have been, um, wow. yeah, it would have been a different story. The self-driving, yeah. are, are they all. <laughs> Do they have the self-driving feature now? Is that pretty common? Or and do people where are we at with self-driving cars? Is that a thing that yeah is here? I don't even know. It's getting there. 
yeah, d despite uh, despite government regulations, it's getting there a lot quicker. And what's funny is you, all the videos and everything that you see right now, it's 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 a Tesla driving itself on city streets, which I mean, you put any new driver on a city street, especially San Francisco, and oh, yeah. they're going to you know, be hesitating and, and be doing those things. But man, on the freeway, Teslas just kill it. Like, I, and right now what they have, we call it from on-ramp to off-ramp. As soon as you get on the on-ramp, you can put it on autopilot and okay. it switches lanes, you know, gets into the right one to take the right on-ramp, off-ramp, the freeway exchanges. Like, you know, from, from here I go 91, uh, you know, okay. to 55 to the 405 and it, it takes everything. And I just kind of look up and okay, I'm here. It's, it's so nice. It just wow. takes a lot of the stress and anxiety. And the car doesn't care if people cut me off. The car doesn't care if, you know, it's stop and go traffic. And hmm. it, it's been a lifesaver for me. So um, you can, what yeah, do you, it, you just, I, and that's why you have to be in the driver's seat or what's the, what's the legality of it? You have to be, and you can't be asleep, right? Yeah, or can you, yeah. can you just doze off and no, <laughs> they have some YouTubers that did some things, whatever, but Tesla has been pretty, pretty aggressive about it. More aggressive than any other car company okay. I know. So like right now, if you're in the driver's seat, uh, a YouTuber, Sandy Monroe was just talking about how he, he unbuckled the seatbelt to get his wallet and like all the emergency flashers turn on, take over immediately, whatever. It's like, you know, it's not just a little chime to be like, Oh, your seatbelt's unbuttoned, uh, but unbuckled. Uh, it, it is there. They are die hard on safety and you have to go through extraordinary efforts to try and weight the steering wheel or do different things. But eventually the goal is that, yeah, you can just hop in and it will drive you there uh, completely autonomously. And they're getting there faster than anybody else. And the millions and millions of miles that they're accruing through machine learning. And that's the main thing. Like when I got my Tesla originally six years ago, to drive from my house to the church was two and a half miles. Yeah. It autopilot could do it. It was there's a couple curves and everything like that. But after about two weeks, it learned after I drove it several times. And after my car learned, every other Tesla learned. Oh wow. And now it's wow. like no big deal. I get in, I set it, and it drives two and a half miles as if it's yeah, and yeah. But but even when it very first came out, I mean it it drives, you know, regrettably, you know, safer than I do. So <laughs> I mean I remember the first time I was driving and it kind of saved me was uh, we were in stop and go traffic. And I just, for a split second, I looked down to grab like a stick of gum and the woman pulled in front of me okay. and my wife yelled. And before I could do anything, the Tesla moved over and wow. avoided the, the collision. And I was like, man, I just saw just on the freeway yesterday, actually, or uh, a couple days ago, there was a, someone driving a Tesla that was, they were merging. There was a, there was a, let's see, they were in the left lane. There was a semi in the far right lane. There was a middle lane between them. And the person was stupid. I mean, they decided to merge while they're in the blind spot of the semi. Well, sure enough, the semi merges over and the Tesla like jerked back into the lane. And I said to my wife, I'm like, yeah, good thing they're in a Tesla. I think they probably would have ran right into the semi. I, I don't even know if that was it could have been the driver or it could have been automatic. I don't know. But I mean, either way, either way, they would not have been able to hit the sit like the, they, the thing would have not allowed the car to get hit. Right. I mean, yeah, well. It avoids it at all costs. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it, it's avoidance systems. I mean, I can't tell you. I mean, I mean, at least at least eight times I know that the car has helped me out, like, wow. and kept me out of out of harm's way. That's why I have a relatively high confidence in it. But especially when I enter into a construction zone or any sort of type of things, if I'm in somewhere new, I'm paying a lot more attention. But okay. when it's the same bit of roadway that I'm doing right. like every week, um, I'm a lot more comfortable with it. But yeah, it, it's pretty remarkable how quickly it's learning and how much better it is. I mean, it's a magnitude better than it was a year ago. It just keeps getting better. Sam. Can you, can you like sit there and email, watch a movie? I mean, you can, you can, as long as you're not asleep, are you allowed to do whatever? Yeah, so so uh, on its, on its entertainment system, you can't watch a movie at this point. They just now released being able to play games, 
but you have to say that you're the passenger so the passenger can can play games and stuff like that um but yeah i mean there's no reason why you can't uh, maybe streaming content, especially once uh, once Starlink is fully up and going, yeah. you know, you'll be able to stream. And that's a, that's the interconnectedness between the cars. Using Starlink oh, okay. uh, is actually another key. Um, and, but there's a, a bunch of other features I'm looking forward to, like uh, one of the, like caravan mode, which is right now for the um, semi truck has been announced. But there's been rumors about it coming out for the cars as well. And what that does is, let's say I'm going to drive from here to Vegas. It's a 240 mile drive and uh the the idea is that if there's another tesla going to vegas that i'll get in right behind him and the cars will interlink and i might be behind him just by a few inches like a train and and i'll be able to draft off him just like cycling whatever and you lose just like birds i mean but that 50 percent of energy lost in wind coefficiency is gained and when that car switches lanes when that car breaks my car will, you know, respond instantaneously. Uh, so it's it's like we're a virtual train, and uh, so so that's going to help us. Not only do I have a 300 mile range, doing that mode, we might be able to go 400 miles or okay. even further just by drafting off each other. Um, and then the even funner part down the road is um, is the whole idea that there won't be speed limits for electric cars. Really? Because yeah. Yeah, if the electric car can react and do everything, why can't it drive 100 miles an hour? You know, and that's right now they just have uh, electric cars just have one gear. Uh, I think they're rumored about the Tesla Roadster having two gears. And once they have two gears, I mean, like, you know, if if you can do that and you can do it efficiently and safely, um, yeah, because the car can react. But definitely when they get into the tunnels, that when there's low resistance, the idea there is, and his whole, you know, uh, loop hyperloop premise is in a low pressure environment, you get up to 1,000 miles an hour. So the idea that you could, you know, hop in and, you know, an hour and a half be across the country in a tunnel. Yeah. So all this like five, 10 years, do you think, let's just say 10 years. So I'm 45 now. So when I'm 55, you think the roads and everything travels just going to be very different than what we have now? I mean, it's hard to say. You know what? It's hard. It's hard because I think 60% of people, what is it? 60% of people resist change. You know, so people are resisting change, and especially our lawmakers. And the the trajectory of our current government, they're kind of blind to who the uh, you know who the opposing team is. And right now, they think it's a war between ICE and EV, um, ICE being internal combustion engines, EV being electric vehicles. Okay. But that's not it. it. It literally is. It's China, and okay. China is going to just steamroll us um, because they are putting all of their energy into full electrification. Um, and, and that, that is the bummer. The only hope that we have, and luckily it's leading it is, is Tesla right now. But, um, but yeah, we'll see where things are. If the government gets its way, it's going to slow things down, even though certain things they're saying sped up. I mean, it was, it was like, if you listen to the government, they're, they're like, you know, GM's leading the way. It's like, what planet are you on? Like, I mean, you're even saying right now, uh, in Idaho, you're, uh, you're in Idaho, right? Yeah. 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 You're seeing Teslas, and I don't know if you know about the supply chain shortage and the the microprocessor chip debacle and no. all that stuff, but that's a whole separate thing. But yeah, hmm. that, that's where the American automotive industry is just really struggling to get oh. their feet under them. But yeah, yeah, during the COVID shutdown, they released production on processors. So they're like, hey, like we don't need processors right now. And what happened was they lost their line in those facilities in those factories in China. 
and they got filled by other manufacturers, microwaves, refrigerators, everyone that needs these little chips for everything. And that's what the microprocessor shortage is. And the only way to overcome it, because they're not going to bump the new manufacturers that fill those gaps, they have to build new factories. And those factories take years to make. Wow. So the American automotive industry is really on its back foot right now trying to figure things out. Meanwhile, Tesla is like, even if they're short on processors, and you need processors for everything, for the, you know, was it the airbag system or the microcontroller inside yeah. the power windows or whatever it is. Um, but Tesla, their software engineers just rewrote the code to use the processors that are already on board. And they overcame a lot of the shortages themselves just by being agile. So I, I remember listening to Rogan talk to Elon Musk. I think this is the first or second or maybe both times where in, you're going to need to fill in the gaps here. Elon is talking about some kind of like robotic thing that would go into someone's brain and repair. Uh, like if like if you're if you're blind or something, a lot of these things are just brain related, right? So if you could fix the brain, you fix yeah. the disability. Does that, am I on the, like, is that accurate what I'm describing so yeah. far? Um, That's science fiction stuff, right? Yeah. It's called Neuralink. Neuralink. He's the founder yeah. of Neuralink. Yep. And the, the trick, and that's the funny thing is you hear the guy talk again, this goes back to story. It's like when he was a kid and he saw like man to the moon or whatever it is, uh, it was, he saw rockets taking off and landing and he's just like, why don't they, why don't they do that? Because that makes sense. They're ready to take off again. Uh, and certain things inspired him. But when you look at sci-fi and all these things, and the idea that you can control things with your mind, that really is kind of what Neuralink's about. Um, and it is this extension that, yeah, if, if you like lost a leg or lost an arm, that it's connected to your brain and those brain, those pulses of electricity can help control those body parts. But then it's a Pandora's box as far as what it opens up. Yeah. And there's people that are really against it because they're like, oh, no, no, it's putting something in your brain. They're going to be able to control you or force, you know, it's, it's the matrix. They're going to be able yeah. to force images into your brain that aren't real. Uh, but yeah, that's a well, whole separate thing. Well, yeah. where, here's my question is that got in, if I remember correctly, they were talking about how the same technology cannot just repair, you know, a somebody's paralyzed or something, um, but it can actually like yeah do kind of a matrix matrix thing where you're like downloading just knowledge like you can get you can you can increase your brain processing power times 100 or whatever like just make somebody super and then it's like well that's weird but it's like well but if if, if all the skilled doctors are going to med school and getting i don't know like immediate knowledge <laughs> and you're like oh i don't want that that's weird but how do you compete with that like it was just they went down this rabbit hole of a conversation and i remember rogan asking him like when would this even be possible and he said like in a few years or something it was some it was super eerie i mean to be honest i was like whoa whoa, whoa. yeah he doesn't say a lot of stuff that's not oh, thoughtful i'm not saying it's true but yeah. like Mm, a few years we could be facing some kind of like superhuman brain power possibility is that am i on to something is that possible was that just was that sci-fi or <clears throat> yeah it is it's sci-fi it's, it's aspirational but he's gotten to where he's at by being aspirational by being like hey there has to be a better way like one of my favorite stories is, i mean this isn't the first time he's been an industry disruptor i mean the the thing is like when he got into paypal i don't know if you remember hmm. buying things on the internet before paypal it was painful like i remember one the first time i bought something i had to print out the order form <laughs> fax it in with my driver's license it was a huge multi-step process and then paypal came out and what's funny is he actually – I'm probably wrong on these stories too. I read, all, I read all this stuff on the internet and think it's true. But basically, <laughs> you know, PayPal wasn't a bank to begin with. So it didn't have all the SEC regulations. It was a payment processor and that kind of became a bank. Um, but he was able to kind of help steer through that guest experience and everything like that. And that was his first windfall was basically taking on the banking industry and helping move it to online. Wow. So then taking wow. on the automotive industry. 
and then the space industry, and then now, you know, whatever these other things, and the medical industry, it's interesting, but I think that the the trick is, I, I don't want to be disillusioned in thinking like he's some sort of like, you know, incredible superhuman. I think he is, he's definitely a talented, intelligent, you know, really great thinker, out-of-the-box thinker that has drive, probably a healthy drive. I mean, he works people like 80, 100-hour weeks. And uh, I, I, I don't think I'd want to work for him. I, I think uh, I'm, I'm probably more selfish and want to enjoy life with my family and uh, and spending time with them. But but he has a conviction. I mean, that's I think that's the key thing is he has a deep conviction about make, making mankind a multi-planetary species. That the rate we're going, um, things are gonna the wheels are gonna fall off the bus. And there's a lot of different metrics that kind of support that. And I'm not even talking about you know greenhouse gases and whatever the planet it's like the economy is going to fall apart and things get ugly i mean like here in southern california when covid hit and there were toilet paper shortages and yeah. people were ransacking homes in the middle of the day it was bizarre this is bizarre that's why so wait, real quick going back to the Neuralink, are you saying that that what i described um that's right now that's not possible we're not on a trajectory to get there i mean anything's kind of possible but are you saying that's not we we don't really have that. Kind as of far as I know, what they're working on is they're making advancements to that direction, okay. and they're not afraid to fail to get there. So I would not be surprised if they if they okay. pull it off. Wow. Yeah. I mean, really, when you look at even like with the robot and everything they're doing, it, it's kind of like um, they've developed the Lego system, and what you build with Legos is you know up to you in your imagination from there. But he, they're really smart about how like when they built even the the I mean the cars themselves are a robot with the vision system. And and his whole thing of going vision versus laser is kind of brilliant because he he's like how many human beings do you know with laser coming out of them? <laughs> Yet with two eyes they're able to adapt and do all these things. And that's the thing is train the robots to do that. So when you're talking about a humanoid robot or any of these things um being able to use a vision system to control that is, is pretty straightforward. Taking that information and porting it into somebody's brain and helping them. Because what is knowledge, right? It, it's the access of information. Um, uh, yeah. Different than thinking, what I talked about before. You know, So you might have access to all this information. I don't know. It would be like Chuck whatever. But <laughs> but the idea that you'll have muscle memory and you'll be able to perform tasks that you did, like that's probably a little bit more out there. But if they could program and just do, make your muscles do whatever, you know, I don't know. It, it's pretty science fiction. Yeah. But – their their uh, their ability to kind of move forward and not be afraid to fail will get them further down the road okay. faster. What are some things that will be normal in five to ten years? Like the it's just a future of kind of everything. Like what as you look at kind of advancements in technology, or biotechnology, or AI. Like what are some some advancements that are very likely to be part of our reality? I know it's a broad question, but. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, gosh, man, this is like it sends it all we're talking about is Tesla here. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but the idea that mass transit is going to be radically transformed, I mean, this whole Hertz deal, the idea that people won't own cars, that my, my youngest son, he's like, why do I need to learn how to drive? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like that, you know, mass mobility will be um, something that people just, you know, hail an Uber, hail the Tesla, hop in, it'll drop you off, you'll get onto a freeway that's a virtual um, train that there are no stoplights. It's almost like, you know, ants just moving around. They all know where each other are and they all are able to get us moved around. And, um, you know, you'll have that certain level of efficiency. And then when you talk about, I think the travesty right now is, is, is the consumerism. Everything right now is kind of a, a lot of things are being built towards consumerizing people. And that's what right. Amazon and Facebook or meta is about. I, I guess that's why I probably have a little bit more faith in Elon Musk is like, 
he launches products just as jokes, but I don't feel like he's trying to consumerize me as much as <laughs> like make my life better. And you know, Tesla cars have actually made my life a lot better. Um, yeah, it's kind of kind of surreal. Do, do, so you think there'll be like like self driving Teslas acting like Ubers, where you just jump in and oh, yeah. it takes you somewhere, and there's no person in the car like that? That's a very likely thing to happen yeah. in the future, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're excited, especially for reinventing so much of of spaces that people gather in. Because you look at throughout human history, the best places that people like to hang out, it's these outdoor spaces, these uh, modern piazzas. And it kind of sucks you have to get into the car and you know be shuttled over in this tin can over to this other thing or all, all these other things. But the idea that parking lots could go away because instead, like if I'm going to go to the mall or go to a movie, I'll drive my Tesla. It'll drop me off. Then it'll drive away, go charge itself a couple blocks away. But the parking spaces and all the things that were right there can be converted over to more human-centric activities hmm. um, and gathering things. And uh, yeah, and, and that's where I think people miss like uh, – yeah, I actually was just talking to someone earlier about the church and how they gather. And it's like you know, the modern church on these buildings and suburbs that are very single-use to be used one day a week on a Sunday – it, yeah, to be empty six days a week is pretty sad. Yeah. But the idea that you know urban spaces are going to transform themselves and people will be able to go and gather and connect in them in the future is really kind of key to as we're moving forward. Hmm. And, and our heart is actually to help serve like local communities and developing what we call mixed use spaces. Hmm. Um, so it, it is uh, you know spaces beyond just one single use. And the church is is definitely a key hmm. uh, organization in that that we're trying to serve. That's yeah, so or we are serving. With a lot of technology, it does seem that it's not fostering community. It's kind of warring against it and fostering individualism. And even even just the change in uh, um, the way cities are constructed. You know, I remember when I lived in Europe, it's just everybody walks everywhere. And there's such a, you know, the local yep. baker, the local, um, you know, what's the meat person, the butcher, the baker, whatever. Like, And that really was kind of like that to some extent. Like it was yep. just, everything was just like, I don't know. You're just around like your community. We're here, you know, you shop 10 miles away and you drive 20 miles here and you go to church across town. Then you drive home and go into your garage, shut the door. And, and I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, I feel like advancements in just even, even city construction has moved away from community rather than toward it. Um, but what you're saying now, just go back to what you're just saying is like, this could be an advancement that actually fosters more connection and community rather than splitting us further apart. Um, Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. It is that human scale that we like to build to, and you're absolutely right. And, and really, modern zoning and the idea that you have like a a shopping zone, a residential zone, an industrial zone, mm -hmm. that's all relatively new. I mean, yeah. 150 years. I mean, that's it was it was out of the industrial revolution. The idea that master plan and zoning you'd separate these things. That's not how people naturally gathered for thousands of years. We gathered organically, mm -hmm. just like your the human body and your circulatory system. It's all interconnected. The idea that you know you have these things that are totally separate that don't connect and talk to each other, I mean, it's out of the single-use industrial revolution mindset. And again, back to thinking, that's that single way of thinking. And the trick with an assembly line is you don't want innovation, you don't want progress. You know, that's the old Laverne and Shirley when they're on the bottling plant and things start yeah. going haywire. You know, if you have to get on an assembly plant, it's going to go haywire. Um, but that's the push is how do you balance the, the structure of an assembly line with the chaos of creativity? And that's good design is the balance of chaos and structure. 
And what we're seeing is people are coming back now. And I mean, I remember when we started 20 years ago, people like, oh, you're from California. You guys want to do all those outdoor things. We're in Boston. You can't do outdoor stuff. We're in New York. You can't do outdoor stuff. We're in Chicago. No way. Well, Chicago, Navy Pier, Millennium Park are some of the hottest places to gather. I mean, you go to the New York City, Central Park, Times Square, the High Line. I mean, people crave to be outside. And and the funny thing is outdoor spaces tend to cost like less than half, if not a quarter of indoor spaces. So it means if you just use it half the time or a quarter of the time, it's cost effective. But that's one of the things as designers, we really try and think about what we say is the space between the buildings. Hmm. And so like even at Disney, the Walt Disney Company, they start thinking about as soon as you pull on the property or even more, as soon as you get off the freeway and you start looking at things and they put over a billion dollars into revamping Anaheim or Walt Disney World in Florida. It's it's a it's the size of Manhattan. I mean, so as yeah. soon as you're on the freeway, you, you start getting that experience to kind of lead you through that journey. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we're finding now is people are realizing, okay, yeah, we can bring these things back to human scale. Um, but disrupting things around autonomous driving is, is a key to that. But technology in itself isn't bad. It's what you do with it right. that really is is the key thing. Human beings are. I mean, we are social beings. Most of us are, at least, right? And the idea that um, technology is going to replace that is actually kind of if, – if like online church is a big thing that people talk about, if online church can replace your physical church, you have bigger issues. <laughs> if, if the online church experience is yeah. better than your physical experience, yeah. there are bigger issues to work through. But the reality is some of the largest gatherings in human history are happening right now all around the digital medium. Whether you talk about concerts or Comic-Con, 100,000 people flying in from all around the world to go to a trade show – I mean, yeah, it is like esports right now is just blowing up in the video game industry. It dwarfs all the, all the other entertainment industries. And we're not finding – you do have the cases of people sitting at home, but man, their social circles and when they have a chance to get together and connect, they really do. Um, you know, And that's what some of these esports lounges and stuff like that are just crazy how people get together. And it's like top golf type things. People will gravitate and want to be together. But the key is the drawbridge that gets them there. Mm-hmm. And technology has has the opportunity to be a big role, but being intentional about it, it might the the avoidance of technology. Kind of one of my favorite things is the best technology is totally transparent. You don't realize it's there. That, mm-hmm. I mean, that's when the iPhone came out. Like you know, one of the jokes was I think Steve Jobs said in an interview, no one, no survey, no one ever said, hey, I want a phone without a ten key. I want a phone without buttons. Everyone said quite the opposite. But in his mind, he saw a preferred future where you had this device that could transform from a phone into a web browser, into a contacts, into all these things. And to do that, you had to have a plastic interface with no buttons. And that's – he was able to see that future. But when it came out, I don't even remember AT&T yeah. and BlackBerry, all those are like, oh, no, no not AT&T. BlackBerry and yeah. uh, all the – Motorola, Qualcomm, they were like, no, you have to have buttons. But he was able to see that preferred future. And when they were talking about like a two-year-old being able to pick up a phone and start using it, yeah. the technology was transparent. It went away, and he was able to naturally work with it. And I think that's that's the key is great technology. It, it takes time to get there, a lot of time and energy. It's not just a, a box you check off saying, hey, we have you know a website. It's like, no, what does that website actually do? How does it interact? How do you make it better? How do you iterate? Um, yeah, anyways. What, what, what is, I'm Sorry, curious. I you mentioned smartphone. Uh, what, what's the future of the smartphone? So like it's been around for almost, what, 15 years or so? And they're getting better and faster and better cameras, but there's in 15 years, are they just going to be same thing, just even faster and better? Or what's the next thing after? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of hard to to think about and imagine. But really, as things, in my humble opinion, as things are moving to the cloud, it is this idea that your profile and Tesla's doing it now, like my car profile is in the cloud now. So when I get into my car or my wife's car or a first rental car, my profile follows me. 
with that. And the idea that I mean, there's rumors about Tesla coming out with a phone that works with Starlink. There's rumors about Apple doing their own car because eventually the, the way you're connecting, it might be through your watch. It might be through a physical phone, but if you leave your phone behind, your watch carries it with you. Or as soon as you get in your car, your car becomes your phone. As soon as you walk into your house, your house is the phone, but it is this, this hmm. continuity of a journey where it, it's seamless really. And uh, that convergence is really what we're looking at. And a lot of times when we look at what we do as far as like the, the kind of the brand stuff, the digital stuff, and then the physical built environments, a lot of times people think like, man, those are like three totally different things. And it's like, it's actually one, it's, it's converging. When we talk about the metaverse, yeah. it is the convergence of our 3D architecture going into the 3D space. The interaction design is pe what people do in that space. And the emotional response they have in that space is our brand. Uh, and, and for us, it's always been a, this continuous uh, guest experience and journey. Hmm. And the future of, of mobile phones, it, uh, yeah, I see it going that way. And, and they've had movies like that before, where it's like, you know, you just walk in. <coughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was a kid growing up in Germany, and it's funny because um, my dad was in the army. We were military brats, and uh, I remember going to a friend's house, and we walk in, and our friend picks up his phone. This is in the 70s. He picks up his phone, presses some numbers, like four digits, and hangs up, and the phone rings two times. Right. And we're like, what do he do? And it's like he just forwarded his phone to, to his mother-in-law's house. And we're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, yeah, so now when it rang, it rang two times because he was expecting an important phone call. And it rerouted. And I was like, man, what kind of magic is this? But the funny thing is Germany and Japan, their infrastructure was bombed to crap after World War II. Yeah. And they started from scratch. Hmm. So they that's when they realized, oh, we're going to do a 220, 240 electrical system. We're going to do fiber and the, all the mo more modern phone system stuff. While in America, we're on this aged 100-year-old you know, 110 system and our phone systems are legacy. The, the leap forward to wireless really helped us. But even back then when I was a kid, the technology was around about enough that the technology could follow you. And, I, and so they've always been thinking about this, and guys are always looking ahead. Hmm. But 60% of people want things to stay the old way. Hmm. So so, so, yeah. phone, so you're saying like the phone would be one piece of a greater system. So your car is – like if you're in your car, you're not going to need your phone anymore. And then you maybe go into a store and you bring your phone with you. And then you go home. Then you have – well, even like Alexa. I mean, or you have other mm – -hmm. Is that you'll still yeah. have the phone? Like, do you still? I mean, in ten years, people will still have smartphones, right? You think, or do you, who knows? No, I mean, there's times when I leave my phone at home and I just have my Apple Watch and I just use my watch yeah. and all my key contacts, everything I need. The technology, I like the Apple Watch better because when I open my phone, I, I get sucked into this rabbit hole of checking all these other notifications yeah. and oh, stuff like that. Yeah. But, um, but you no, know, the idea that there might be some sort of like maybe it is a wristband type thing. Maybe it's the Apple glasses. Maybe it's a glass. Maybe it's a contact lens that you put in that has augmented reality or, uh, you know, yeah. uh, had display stuff. You know, there's, you know, uh, uh, one of my wife's favorite things is to go go camping and hiking out in Yosemite and stuff like that. And yeah, and she has no qualms leaving her phone behind. Yeah. But the idea that if something happens and there's an accident, we need to be able to get to it, um, that there's some sort of device, uh, you know, mm. yeah. And, but the idea that, Things can follow you along, and there might be – I'm just going to throw – maybe it's a Starlink phone that we use because it's satellite-powered for hiking, you know, and, yeah. and that's it. But does it have our contacts and our – well, have contacts, but does it have like our calendar and all the other things that our smartphone has? Maybe not. Maybe it's just for calling in, in a, an emergency. Um, but, but I think that future is, is going to be plastic. It's going to be – it might use that, but the idea that you can borrow someone's phone and it becomes your phone – um, and that's kind of the way t Tesla works. It's the same car; they just software unlock features for it. Oh wow! Yeah. What about bio, like biotechnology? You, been, you mentioned in passing, like a, you have a 
what, like a, a contact lens or something like that? Like, is there any way that my smartphone would become part of me, like a, a chip implanted in me or something? Or I guess, you know, glasses, yeah. like. Yeah, they were working on that stuff. Yeah, yeah. They, they are working on that stuff. I think one of my favorite, uh, I, I love Kathy Wood with ARK Invest, and they have a whole genome kind of bio uh, tech things that they that I follow on there and stuff like that. But people are trying crazy things and mm. things that you see in science fiction movies. And they're very aspirational towards those things. And really, I mean, the, the, the way that we're created and the resilience of the human spirit to go after these things, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's impossible, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's pretty amazing how God created us to troubleshoot and figure things out. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, they're figuring out how to get, you know, bioelectricity to power these things so they can just set it in or it'll charge and, you know, it's able to go into your eye for 10 hours at a time or three hours at a time, whatever those things are. But, but Google glass came out and that was definitely what I would say on the bleeding edge. I mean, you were just throwing a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars away. I mean, like, but (laughs) there was learnings from that there, there's things that they learned and that's what the cost of innovation was that, you know, what did they learn from it? Um, and yeah, eventually, I mean, uh, yeah, right now, I mean, the Apple glasses, I mean, they're talking about something as lightweight as this, that you just put it on and it has a wireless link. And then right up here, you could see, uh, I could see your information. I could ask questions like, you know, how fast did the Earth rotate? And it would just show up on there for me. Kind of like Maybe, Iron yeah. Man, like when Iron Man's in his suit, you know, like he's got all this stuff. Yep. Like, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned yep. a pl- planet travel or inhabiting planets. Uh, is that a thing? Is that actually, I mean, a possibility would want to, cause you, you, there's no atmosphere or anything, right? I mean, you have to like live in a bubble your whole life or, uh, yeah. You know, and I think a lot of it's innovations, what you, you don't know what you don't know. And the process of going to the moon and even establishing the international space station, so many innovations came out of that. Everything from, I mean, like it's current cell phone technologies and microprocessor stuff, hmm. like things you know, issues that they had to overcome to get there it, it actually really did help, uh, you know, progress on Earth, uh, especially in the medical fields and science mm-hmm. fields, uh, obviously. I think the pursuit of getting to the moon, some people think that's a, a fool's errand. There are people who want to do it. But the idea that you're going to figure out how to do that and worst case scenario is you don't make it there. But the learning journey the journey is the destination. Everything that they learned to get there and do heavy lifting and all the stuff, and even now the the new uh, uh, you know starship that they're building, the, the starship is, is the key rocket that'll take 150 people from LA to Sydney, cost effectively type things. That those are all the things that they're figuring out along the way to help innovate and, and get us there. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's funny how things work though, because when Walt Disney very first did the very first feature uh, animated feature Snow White and Seven Dwarfs. I mean, people called it, they were like, it's Walt Disney's folly. They were like, people can't sit there and watch a full color film for two hours. They'll go into seizures. And it's like, <laughs> they just didn't know any better. They didn't know until he did it and they were able to accomplish it. And same thing when he opened up Disneyland, they're like, oh no, he's throwing his money away. And the reality is we're in such a sterile society. He just wanted a place to go and make memories with his daughters. And now it's the largest human magnet in the world that people pay to go to. And um, and and they go there to make memories. And uh, so I'm all for innovation. Going to other planets, I think the byproduct in that worst case is we're just going to come up with a bunch of new cool technology. Huh. We're, uh, you know, Best case scenario is they actually uh, make us uh, multi-planetary. And then if an asteroid ever hits the Earth or – I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like uh, – yeah. 
I don't know. Maybe God will send the asteroid to Earth and Mars and kill us all. But uh, <laughs> I, I think I have a, I think I have a, I a different uh, perspective on, yeah. you know, what, you know, thinking eternity, what that means. But I love the the outside thinking and innovations happening now. And, and I believe that Jesus, when he came to this Earth, he came as a storyteller, and he didn't just teach scriptures on the steps of the temple. Uh, the whole idea of parables was relating to people with where they were at. And I believe like we are called to be storytellers and how that happens and how the church has used technology historically, you know, whether it was in stained glass windows to convey the gospel to an illiterate society or the, you know, the commissioning of the Gutenberg press and the Gutenberg Bible to get the, you know, scripture into more people's hands. Or, you know, when radio very first came out and Amy Simple McPherson leveraged that for the short, for short denomination or uh, TBN, you know, leveraging, you know, satellite TV for uh, the, the further of the gospel. Those were all huge technology innovations um, that they were early adopters on. So you kind of already go in there, but just to round out our conversation. Yeah. Help, help us think Christianly through all these things, advancements in technology. I know, you know, brain technology and, self-driving cars picking you up with nobody in them like people can get a little bit kind of freaked out right um and certainly yeah you've already said it but like certain advancements in technology produce more evil and others can be used for more good so how, how should how should christians think through really the the fast paced advancement in technology yeah well i think that's the key is how do you redeem things and use it for good i don't think things are inherently good or bad it's like how do you use it so, you know, a car is not inherently bad. Uh, a drunk driver behind the wheel of a car is evil. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it's, it's how we use it. And I, I'm very much like in the parable of the talents, like how do I take the talents that God has given me, not bury it and be like, okay, you know, I'm fine. I'm just going to bury it and it'll be there when he comes back. But how do I actually use that and multiply it and be effective with it? In the parable of the talents, it was the guy that took risks and had a higher return that was rewarded. And, and I'm not just talking about money. I mean, it, it is whatever the talents you have, you know, it, how do you maximize that for the kingdom? Yeah. And technology is just one of those things. And it's like when I'm looking at things in the, you know, advancements, where, where is the church being represented? You know, are we bringing hope to those areas? That, that's, that kind of what is what drives us. Because yeah. uh, if we don't bring hope and all we do is sit there and complain about the things that we don't like, um, it gets hard now. And I'm a really critical person too. I mean, I'm an Enneagram eight, a challenger. I'm Asian. Uh, I'm like, uh, I have a lot of things going against me because, and I come across as a jerk a lot of times when I'm pushing ahead on a project. But I, I know that the most important thing is how I make people feel. And sometimes I my wife, especially she holds me accountable to like to slow down yeah. and to make sure that I'm being kind on those things. Yeah. Um, because man, sometimes I just get so far behind, like, this is a big deal. We've got to, you know, take yeah. this issue on. We've got to do it. And you know, the, the, you know, right justifies might, but the, the reality is God has called us to love one another, uh, love God first and love others. And I think technology's role in that is how can it help us okay. get there? Yeah. And, uh, I know for some kids, like, I, you know, it, it is the lack of technology or just being intentional with it, you know, yeah. Yeah, we definitely need more discipleship, I think, on on technology. It's just kind of the Wild West right now with just how fast mm. things are being developed and like, or even, you know, you're, you have kids, right? Are you a parent? Yep. Yeah. Great. Yeah. 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 Raising kids in a world of smartphones and, and, and uh, social media and TikTok and everything. It's like nobody prepared us. It just happened like overnight almost. And it's like, yep. well, how, how do I parent and disciple my kid in this really brand new world that we've never no one's ever known before like it's 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 tough and i, I do th i think the church a dis a discipleship in technology i think that needs do you think i mean it seems like that's a 
important enough conversation. It needs to be happening, happening frequently, you know? Um, yeah, no, no, I totally agree with you. I think we have to talk about it. It's that whole thing like, going back to thinking. I mean, it's like, yeah. you can't just expect the same old things to keep working. And, and I think historically, and, and I kind of blame a lot of things on the industrial revolution. And before <laughs> the industrial revolution, my kids would have worked alongside me. Yeah. And I would have taught them how to, how, how my work ethic, I would have taught them how I do what I do and how I manage my money and how I resolve conflict and my integrity and how I deal with the neighbors that they would have learned all those things alongside me. And then when they would have forged out on their own, you know, they would have figured things out and taken those lessons. But the problem is, you know, after the industrial revolution, the idea of putting and batching kids into schools and then onto, you know, junior high, high schools, university of other people pouring values and everything into them, mm. there's, that can be very disconnected from where we are. So I've had to be very intentional to try what are my values that I'm pouring into my kids and how do they do that? And I've been blessed that they've been able to be a part of a school out here in Corona Crossroads Christian schools that hmm. really did align with our values. And they, they do something called 21st century learning, which is very much uh, technology centric and teaching people how do you use technology for good and, you know, be balanced in that. So, That's yeah. Good. That's good. Oh, yeah. Well, Peter, I appreciate you. Thanks for giving us your time and wisdom. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation. I, I do have probably more questions than, now than when I came <laughs> than before the podcast. No but, problem. No. Uh, yeah, we'll have yeah. to do it. Again. It was fun. It was fun. All right. Thank All right, you. brother. Hey, good connecting. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.